Welcome to Berlin Inside Out, the podcast that takes an expert look at how Germany sees the world and the world sees Germany. With me, Benjamin Tallis. And me, Aaron Gash Burnett. Welcome back to Berlin Side Out, the foreign affairs podcast that takes an expert look at how Germany sees the world and the world sees Germany in association with the German Council on Foreign Relations. I'm Aaron Gash-Pernet, a journalist specializing in German politics, and I'm here with my friend Benjamin Tallis, senior research fellow at the Council. Now, Ben, today we're going north to the Nordics, where a lot is happening. We've seen a huge geopolitical political shift up there following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, with Finland joining NATO and Sweden having applied to do so, among many other developments. We have some great guests today to talk about what those mean for Germany, starting off with a very special friend of Berlin Side Out, who dedicated listeners will remember from our very first episode. That's right. Minna Orlander is back on Berlin Side Out. Welcome back to the show, Minna. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Now, as I'm sure you all know from Twitter and elsewhere, Minna is a research fellow at the Finnish Institute for International Affairs. And before that, uh, she was in Berlin for 10 years, uh, including working at the SWP, the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. And her expertise includes Nordic and German foreign policy. And Minna, we've seen uh, a meeting of minds between people like former uh, Finnish Prime Minister Anna Marin, much missed, who took her country into NATO, and some of the leaders of the Baltics, like Estonia's Kaja Kallas, Lithuania's Foreign Minister Gabrielis Landsbergis, on issues ranging from supporting Ukraine and opposing Russia to opposing uh, tourist visas for Russian tourists. Uh, not always with full German agreement, it must be said. This seemed to indicate a new direction in North, Central, Eastern Europe. But we know there's differences as well there. Chancellor Olaf Scholz didn't make this easy when saying uh, there would be no eastward enlargement of NATO during his time in office. And that turned out not to be strictly true with Finland joining, although it would be a, a northern enlargement as well, as it might be spun in Helsinki. But is this truly a, the case of the German nightmare of the unimpeachable north joining forces with the unspeakable east? I think that at best that's still a work in progress. Um, the like At least in Finland, it's still very important uh, to be perceived as a Nordic country and the Nordic group is the, the most important reference framework. Um, there's there's an increasing interest definitely in, uh, for example, Poland because of Poland's uh, significant military build-up plans. Um, there's also now this kind of new view of uh, of the Baltic neighbors, especially Estonia, after the NATO accession. So, so there is like those are new priorities uh, for the government. For example, to increase security and defense related uh, cooperation uh, with the Baltic states and and like kind of um, strengthening and and intensifying this Nordic Baltic um, uh, format NB8, for example. Um, but I think that there's there is some kind of like it's it's not so uniform neither among the Nordics nor actually among, among for example the Central European countries. So um, I think that we have to also allow for that that like um, diversity there. I think that's a really important point to note. There's diversity within what has been unity on one issue. Uh, in many cases, excluding now the new Slovak government's policy and the Hungarians' long-standing policy, but there was difference on other issues. Nonetheless, it does seem as though perhaps Helsinki, uh, Stockholm, Copenhagen, perhaps even Oslo, are they moving away from Berlin to a degree? Is there a divergence of views between the Nordic capitals and the German one? 
So there's this really interesting development that, for example, Finland is kind of going now all out transatlantic. Uh, so so we are very much focused uh, on the defense cooperation with, with the United States. Uh, we're just like now in the process of finalizing the, the, or the negotiations have been finalized on the defense cooperation agreement, the DCA, and now it's going into the political process. Um, and this is very much the focus. It's also like since the, the NATO accession, the sort of like not only integrating Finland into NATO, but uh, integrating also NATO into Finland and, and that means especially uh, US troops of course like that is a huge priority and takes takes a brunt of uh, political and uh, actually actual like military uh, attention and, and capacity right now but there is like a big um, and interesting divergence uh, with Norway on the other hand like which has been a very like trans- transatlantic ally but Norwegian uh, German defense cooperation has totally taken off uh, since Norway became the most important uh, natural gas supplier uh, to Germany there's the Norwegian um, German um, initiative on um, increasing the capability the NATO capability as well on um, maritime um, infrastructure surveillance and so on and there there's a like, defense um, industrial cooperation between between Norway and, and Germany, they are even planning to integrate a whole submarine unit. And so, so that is going, uh, and there's huge momentum there. And that's also kind of like a German focus right now among the Nordic countries. So, so there is this interesting divergence. On the other hand, for example, for Finland, Germany hasn't been like that important a security partner anyways. So I wouldn't say that in that regard, there has been like some very significant like pivoting away from Germany. But Germany remains an important partner in other ways for the Nordics, yes, doesn't yeah, it? Yes, totally. Uh, so Germany remains one of uh, Finland's most important um, um, economic partners in the EU. It's still like the considered the uh, well, with some doubts now, but it is still the closest like-minded uh, larger partner. Uh, we will see how Poland's role will e- evolve uh, with the new government. There is to- definitely potential for for like a new and let's say more constructive role in the EU. Uh, but like obviously, France is not exactly like a like-minded partner on many issues, ranging from fiscal policy to uh, to um, uh, to other things in in the EU. So so Germany does remain a, a very important partner there. In Interesting, like kind of because you mentioned Kaya Kallas and Sanna Marin. So right now we have a new uh, foreign minister in uh, Finland who was who, who lived in Germany as a child and p- speaks perfectly fluent uh, German and gets along very well with Annalena Baerbock. So um, these kind of connections uh, come and go in a way as well. Personal connections are a big thing too sometimes. They are, and um, Elena Valtonen, yes, if I pronounce it name. correctly, yes, yes very, very good. <laughs> um, indeed, has has taken a tough line in the same way rhetorically that Annalena Baerbock has, and you could see there would be a natural partnership there. Finland's also taken a lead on things like putting conditionality on development aid to countries that don't seem to share Finland's democratic values or have a, a, a problematic relationship with Russia that doesn't quite speak to the possibility of such a constructive relationship with the chancellery here in Berlin, though, does it? Yeah, that seems uh, more tricky. But it was also very interesting that despite this personal kind of connection and you could expect like Valtonen to be have an affinity for, for Germany. But for example, in her speech at the, the ambassador's annual conference, uh, she didn't mention Germany even once. Uh, but the UK got a lot of praise, uh, which was kind of unexpected because... Uh, 
in uh, in many ways, like of course, the UK has been a very important uh, security and defense partner, and you could expect that in the speech by the defense minister. But from the foreign minister, it was pretty unexpected how the UK was praised as a very like-minded and important partner in in, in a number of areas, and Germany didn't get even one mention. Well, I think that probably also speaks a little bit to what you were saying earlier about, uh, you know, Finland is integrating into NATO, but also there is the process of bringing NATO uh, to Finland. And we should note, listeners, quickly, and not everyone here, uh, what the, the, the size of Finland's border with Russia is 1,340 kilometers. That is basically twice as much or twice as long as the rest of the frontline states combined. So NATO's border with Russia, two-thirds of it now is... Is, is Finnish, is the Finnish-Russian border. So a little bit of context there. It certainly um, doesn't surprise me so much that um, you know, Finnish ministers would be looking to engage other NATO partners like the UK, for example, with metrics like that in mind. Right, and there's a track record of doing so with the JEF, the Joint Expeditionary Force, of course, that Finland has long has been part of for the last six years, um, which provided a way of helping to create interoperability between Finland and already extending extant NATO members, including the UK, which anchors that northern alliance, as it's sometimes known. Yeah, the JEF is a very popular initiative, both in Finland and in Sweden. Um, however, I think there is also some awareness, and increasingly so, that despite a lot of good intentions and ambitions, maybe those intentions and ambitions are greater than the actual capacity in the UK. Uh, so, so there's also like sort of a realistic assessment of the military uh, capability of well, the UK compared to the US. And that's why, why this transatlantic thing has become completely kind of uh, the first and foremost priority. And that's something we'll actually be discussing with uh, the former deputy chief of the UK defence staff, Edward Stringer, on a future episode of Berlin Inside Out that we're looking forward to, uh, to bringing to you soon. But the fact that Germany wasn't mentioned in that speech is really quite something. I mean, that's not going to be music to Berlin's ears, is it? No, but I think there's also some party politics behind it. So the National Coalition Party that uh, Waldonen represents, they have made this NATO accession. They they have been um, the, the most NATO pro- positive or pro-NATO party for the longest time in, in Finland. Um, and uh, for them, it was, of course, like on the one hand, uh, quite a pity that they didn't happen to be in the government, uh, which actually brought Finland to NATO. But it is still like a very important moment for the party. And they have made it all about Finland finalizing its uh, Western integration, which I find personally a little bit silly because it's not like Finland wasn't a Western country before joining NATO. But this is also about their long term policy in a way. Indeed. I mean, you might get a different answer if you asked Finland's Western neighbors in Tallinn, especially Thomas Ilves. <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) It can be tempting sometimes to think of the Nordics monolithically, but we have, of course, heard that uh, Norway has a certain view of its relationship to Germany at the moment. And, um, you know, we will certainly something that will come up in our discussion is that uh, some of the other Nordic nations are maybe looking at it a little bit differently. I think um, there is, of course, quite a big difference between the the Nordic countries that have been NATO members for a long time and then Finland and Sweden that are only now joining. So the Danes have gotten quite good at looking at what Germany promises and then does not do and then don't do the same thing. So that's a little bit like their uh, NATO policy approach in some aspects. Don't, don't do what we say, do what we don't do. Exactly, kind of. <laughs> yeah, you, you could paraphrase it like that. And then as I mentioned, there's this interesting development in Norway because also Germany has had a very, very vital interest in, in the cooperation with Norway. So so that has been like a very mutual uh, sort Replacing of momentum. Replacing Russian gas, obviously. And also because it was a real shock in Germany when the Nord Stream pipeline got blown up uh, because that drove the the threat 
home for a moment in Germany. So so there's also that. Sweden is busy with its own military reforms and build-up because Sweden reduced and downscaled very heavily after the Cold War. So they have quite a lot of catching up to do and they are very serious about it. Um, Sweden is expected to, um, I think at this point, to reach 2% already uh, already next year. And they are really trying to bring back some of their old Cold War um, capability. So Sweden is pretty focused on the own process. Of course, it's also very frustrating situation that they uh, that Sweden is still in the NATO waiting room and Finland is now learning the ropes in NATO figuring out what it means uh, to be in this alliance now and, and, and there are also quite a lot of expectations uh, on Finland having been the country that has a lot of experience with deterring Russia on our own and like um, how to deal with it we have a lot of know-how um, especially in the military uh, about uh, about Russia and and then of course a lot of best practices that we kept up uh, after the Cold War uh, and that other others didn't such as conscription, actual territorial defense. Those are maybe like right now the main differences. But there's also this interesting development that um, the trilateral cooperation between uh, Finland, Norway and um, Sweden really gained momentum after um, the decision to to join NATO in Finland and Sweden. And uh, also Denmark and Norway, who had been a little bit less eager to intensify the NORDEFCO, the Nordic Defense Cooperation, because they didn't want to create any alternative structures to NATO. So they are now pretty forward-leaning about like increasing the uh, Nordic cooperation. And it's that's, different when you're all in. Yeah, exactly. So that changed quite massively as well. Interesting. So just take us through briefly how the Titan vendor is seen across the Nordics. I think that uh, it seems more real in Norway, I would say, because they see the the most results there. Like uh, mm-hmm, they see right. a lot of cooperation that wasn't there before uh, with Germany, and a very like greatly increased interest. Um, as I understand, Germany has offered uh, to Finland to support in the NATO integration process and so on, but there hasn't been too much interest in that so far. Uh, that might, of course, change when time time goes on and like questions of command structure reform and others uh, come up. Um, but um, yeah, and, and then like I think in Finland and Sweden there is this sense that like um, the Titan vendor was very well received, but then um, the fact that not that much happened. Uh, A lot's happened, but not much has changed. <laughs> yes, basically, and uh, and that as, it is, as it was put, listeners at a, an event we had on Friday here yeah, in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's something I heard here in Berlin, and uh, so so there was this frustration then uh, because the expectations shot out of the window, like like really skyrocketed after the Titan. Vendor the speech and there was this uh, it was perceived as Germany like having gotten the memo and taking the the leadership role but then because the the implementation has been slow so I think at least in Finland there's now kind of the, the sense that okay I mean great if Germany gets it done but it, it seems to be taking too long and in a serious situation like we don't have time to wonder whether or not Germans are already there. Uh, so that's why in Finland there's quite a lot of focus on on the allies that are perceived to have high military capability. Or are going about building them. Yeah, right? exactly. That's part of it. And this, this, this is what strikes me is that there's a risk for Germany of being rather left behind. That others got the memo a lot quicker, yeah. are acting on it seriously and moving forward at pace. And in Finland and Sweden's case, that meant joining NATO. It meant continuing to make sure you're ready, as you said, in the pre- in the ways that you've described. For the Central East Europeans, similar thing. They already understood what to do with Russia. Now they're trying to get others on board, but they're not going to take any chances and wait for others who haven't got it yet. Denmark has been sort of like uh, looking at Germany quite a lot uh, and like sort of aligned also the Netherlands. But in terms of the debates on Ukraine, they have been totally different in, in the Netherlands and Denmark. 
Denmark, there has, hasn't been like this escalation uh, fear uh, debates or anything like that. It's been like, okay, we don't have much to give, but what we have, we can give. But they have F-16s to give. Exactly. <laughs> so I think that Denmark has also like gotten more interested in this like Nordic cooperation and like being part of that group. Um, so so there's there's also like this huge momentum on the other hand for for increased Nordic cooperation. And they are very like-minded countries. Like there are of course like these national differences, uh, but there is this sense of like trust and like really deep understanding between the countries. That is a region that defines itself as a region, that understands yes, itself yeah, as a region, absolutely. that has those connections, which the North Central Eastern European region that we've talked about in the past doesn't doesn't have that level of interconnectivity yet. Even if we heard from Oliver Moody on a previous episode that the Baltic region as a whole is extremely interconnected, but there's still some unexplored potential there, certainly for bigger cooperation between the different states involved. The other thing I'd like to ask you, Mina, though, is does that focus on Nordic cooperation make it more difficult to cooperate with others sometimes? I wouldn't say so because actually the the Nordic cooperation does provide a really good platform and a pre-existing structure that can could potentially also integrate others. And this is actually seen in Germany as well. So so they view it quite positively like um, what what already exists between Finland and Sweden bilaterally and then also the wider Nordefco. So that's something that like others could duck into. So it's not really like um, a thing that prevents other cooperation. It should more be seen as maybe even a blueprint how to how to do it. Which is an interesting lesson perhaps to take um, that, you know, if Germany tries hard enough, it too could become Nordic one day. Maybe it could, could find its way in as well as becoming a Baltic nation, as we heard from Oliver Moody and realizing it. But more, more seriously, it shows that having a strong identity and being proud of it doesn't necessarily preclude doing progressive things. It doesn't preclude cooperating with others. It doesn't have to be exclusive. And this question of exclusive identities versus cooperative identities and being able to articulate that clearly to others, to understand who you are and let others know who you are can be a very positive way to move forward. And I think that's certainly a lesson Berlin could take from each of the individual Nordic nations, but the Nordics as a whole as well. Absolutely. So to get an in-depth look at this and other topics regarding how Germany sees the Nordics and how the Nordics see Germany and whether that's changing, we're joined by Anna Wieslander, the Director for Northern Europe for the Atl- at the Atlantic Council, Secretary General of the Swedish Defence Association and Chair of the Board at the Institute for Security and Development Policy. Also joining us with the Finnish Institute for International Affairs is Tuomas Iso Marku. And last but not least, DGAP's very own Kim Olsen, who's here in the room with us in Berlin. And his expertise includes Danish-German relations and Nordic-German relations more broadly, which he covers for us here at DGAP. Let's listen in to that conversation. Thank you all for joining us today. Now, the Nordics have undergone a huge change in geopolitical outlook since February 2022. Finland joined NATO. Sweden has obviously applied to join. The entire Baltic Sea region is taking on an increased military and security significance that we've not seen at least since the end of the Cold War, I would argue. But as we heard from previous guest Oliver Moody on this show, uh, at the most recent meeting of the Council of the Baltic Sea States, for example, which Germany chaired this year. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock's speech laid out the priority of cleaning up old munitions from two world wars that were on the Baltic Sea floor. So to me, that doesn't really send a strong 
uh, signal, at least publicly, uh, for whether Germany understands what's really at stake in the Baltic Sea and in uh, northern and northeastern Europe at the moment. Are Nordic states working with the Berlin that really understand and stands and gets what's going on up there? Well, I think that's a great question. And thanks for having me, first of all. It's great to be here uh, on this podcast. And uh, you know, that's that's one of my concerns as well, and I've had that for quite so many years, that it has been difficult in the past decade to have Germany look north, uh, actually. I think it has become better, but I still think that, think there is a lot of potential uh, that is not used yet. And this uh, example that you, you put forward on, on the mind-sweeping, mind I think that's in a way illustrative. Uh, one of the fears I have is that you know the interest in the north is still limited uh, there is a lot of talk when you talk when you're in berlin about the global south and a little bit you know i'm interested in hearing your view on why that is so uh, I, of course germany is a very big economic power but you know i hope it's not uh, escapism that what you know the the closer you get the the less engaged you are and 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 the further away the easier it is to engage uh, because Germany is very much needed uh, in relation to the Nordics, the Baltics, and to to engage as a Baltic Sea state. Well, Kim, you actually are in Berlin, and you have some expertise on this matter. So what would you say to Anna's question there about, um, are we working with a Berlin that really sees North the same way? Well, I think the question, at least seen from Denmark, uh, is whether... The Danes and the Nordics are looking south, right? Because in, especially when we talk about security and defense matters, uh, it's clear that a country like Denmark has been extremely transatlantic in almost everything it has been doing for the last decades. Uh, so the question is just as much, um, is Germany understood to be a reliable security actor um, in Copenhagen? And, and I think the jury is, is still out. A lot of potential, of course, was so to say, um, shown with the German reaction in February 2022. But since then, the way that it has that Germany has been perceived as a security actor has been, been quite mixed in, uh, in Copenhagen. Very generous of you, Kim. <laughs> quite, quite mixed, I think, is an interesting assessment to give. Diplomatic, maybe. I mean, mixed because, we, of course, we can talk about all the disappointment with uh, Germany's, um, so to say, Ukraine policy. But... It shouldn't be underestimated that the German push to talk about the two percent goal, NATO's two percent goal, and uh, the two percent of GDP on defense, right? Exactly. Um, that in itself was also an impetus for the Danish debate. You know, it's oh. important to have uh, others raising these issues, um, so, as Berlin has done. So that is why I, I think it's mixed. It's not all all bleak and dark. But at the same time, Denmark has been one of the countries that's been willing to take the lead on sending a higher categories of weapons. I mean, now with the F-16s and so on, that's that's a qualitative step above what Berlin has been willing to send. So how is how is that perceived, the Danish leadership role in this regard? What Ben is, of course, referring to is the fact that Norway, uh, uh, Denmark, and the Netherlands have agreed to send F-16 fighter jets. And what's interesting there is that they made that step uh, without having necessarily the backing of a bigger US, for example, that Germany was uh, very insistent on uh, when it came to sending things like the Leopard 2 tanks. Uh, so 
what explains uh, sort of the Danish uh, drive to kind of um, go ahead, even though uh, other allies like Germany are a little bit more hesitant and require that backing before they do anything? Well, two things. Uh, I think, firstly, it's important to understand that the policy line in Copenhagen has been clear. It has consistently been that the answer is yes, and then afterwards the question, what was the question? Meaning that whatever the ask is, the answer will be affirmative. The reason for that, a very strong government position and a consensus in parliament. So from the far right to the far left, these steps have been taken in consensus. So there is not much of a domestic debate against this in, in Denmark. Um, hence also the the willingness to, to go forward, for example, with the F-16s. Right, and that does speak to a rather different security outlook, uh, which we'll come back to in a second. But Thomas, I want to throw this over to you, because I think picking up uh, on these comments so far, including what Anna Wieslander said about um, the lack of attention paid to the North and Germany preferring, for example, to spend time talking about the Global South, about building new global partnerships. We've talked in the past on Berlin Side Out about Germany's forgotten friends in Central Eastern Europe. Is there a sense of also being rather forgotten in uh, in the Nordics and in Finland? Well, forgotten may not be the right word for that, but it's true that in some matters, and especially when it comes to security and defense, Germany is not considered as one of Finland's main partners. I would say that political relations between Finland and Germany are still very, very good. And the economic relationship is very close, uh, Germany being Finland's most important trading partners, both in terms of uh, imports and in terms of exports. But when it comes to the area of security and defense specifically, Germany is not in the same category with the likes of the US, the UK, or even our Nordic neighbors who are now considered uh, among our main partners. Anna, can I ask you to pick up on that a little bit too? It certainly seems as though, yeah, Germany is not necessarily a key partner. We know it's punching under its weight. We know it's not hitting its potential. Is there any expectation that it will do so up in the Nordics? Well, I think um, there are at least, uh, I mean, we at least recognize um, the opportunity in this. Uh, and with that, I think also comes expectations. Yes, especially with uh, with Site and Vendor. Uh, I mean, it is uh, not only uh, a, a, a very big budget <laughs> that Germany has compared to to relatively smaller uh, Nordic countries, but also in com- to combine that with the the ambition to be more forward leaning, we we do expect uh, German leadership here. And you know, this is something that I've been uh, engaged in for for quite some years. Uh, I wrote about it after the the Munich Security Conference in 2019 because. It's clear that, I mean, Germany has this approach, you call it a team power. Uh, I mean, it wants to lead together with others. It never wants to do things just uh, on its own. But but it, it doesn't really use the potential of aligning the Nordic, the Baltic, as you said, the, the Central and Eastern European countries on a more kind of European slash transatlantic agenda, which is, I mean, we do need the United States as, as some kind of major player up here in the north. Uh, and Germany, I mean, that's usually Germany's, Germany's approach as well, uh, in contrast to, for instance, you know, France being going a bit too far, perhaps, on the independence <laughs> road uh, 
Germany would would kind of try to 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 slow that that uh, path down from France, and, and Germany could here work together with with the Nordics and the Baltics. I think in a much more active way, uh, and in that way create a more you know European transatlantic framework that we need. So and Saitim, when there was such an injection for this, I still have think it has a lot of potential. I, I don't want to you know dismiss it or say that. It couldn't couldn't be there, but I definitely would like to see see more more action on this. I, I believe that we have uh, we have common ground with Germany uh, to a large extent when it comes to you know economics, and we have it when it comes to um, defending the rules based international order, and and uh, we also have it within defense. But mostly when it comes to disarmament and, or perhaps arms control regimes, and that could still be something. But we need to go a bit further when it comes to actual uh, defense. And I think just to, to round up on this, the responsibility that Germany has taken in Lithuania as framework nation for the enhanced NATO's enhanced forward presence in Lithuania, that is very much noticed uh, from a Nordic perspective, I think. And with that, we believe that Germany has taken on responsibility and we assume that. But when you talk sometimes to the Germans, they can't really articulate what this responsibility means or, or what this obligation actually means means for them. Although uh, they, of course, uh, take it and... and 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 acknowledge it, but but uh, the strategy is perhaps not really there yet. And I think we could work on that together, uh, for instance. That's so interesting indeed. Struggling to account for their own position, and indeed for a positive thing, taking credit for a positive part of what they've done, does seem to be a consistent problem here. And as we continue to wait for the Titan vendor, um, <laughs> increasingly less patiently here in Berlin, um, that does seem to be very much part of the issue that we're we're facing. That level of what both self-reflection and representation to allies that seems to be missing. Giving a good account of yourself and understanding your identity. Actually, the other part of this that we see quite a lot is that Germany fails to take advantage of the friendly relations that it has. So, for example, Canada a natural partner for Germany, also feels quite undervalued. There's a lot of potential in that relationship, be it economic, security, on energy, agriculture, and so on, that is not leveraged. For all of you, where are those unexplored areas of potential that could really be picked up? What would be something Germany could do with each of your countries um, to say, yeah, this is a qualitative step forward in our relationship, and here's some concrete measures to go about doing it. Yeah, I think it's very important, as you mentioned, that to to recall that Germany is a key partner in many, many, many policy areas for Denmark. Right, when everything that comes to the EU, Germany is one of the key, if not the most important partner. Um, room for improvement or potential for for further uh, collaboration, definitely in the security. Um, area you mentioned it yourself the Baltic Sea what is the ambition there also recalling that we now have or will soon hopefully have uh, all so to say the the Denmark Finland and Sweden all being full NATO members and full members of the the CSTP the common security and defense policy in the EU with Denmark's referendum last year to fully join that collaboration or uh, that uh, framework as well. We will most likely see an impetus for new Nordic cooperation in the Baltic Sea as well and around the Baltic Sea. The question here is, what is Germany's sort of ambition in this area that is so important for, for Nordic security? The EU has traditionally been a, a key area for um, Finnish-German relations. And I think in the EU framework, 
Germany still remains a very important partner for Finland. But even in the EU context, I think we now see Germany as working more closely with other states and, and of course, especially uh, France. And while the Franco-German cooperation has usually been seen in a rather positive light, especially because Germany has been seen in Finland as sort of the guarantor that Northern European views are taken into consideration in the EU. Now that may not necessarily be so. So Germany is not any longer seen as the main representative of of Northern um, European views. And that, of course, also leads uh, to the question what the Northern European countries themselves can bring to the table and whether they themselves can form a group of their own and, and bring their own voice. When it comes to NATO, I think it's important what Anna said about uh, Germany's engagement in Lithuania. I think that certainly is very important um, from the perspective of uh, the Baltic Sea region as a whole. But I quite agree that um, Germany has not been able to leverage this politically. It doesn't necessarily tie its engagement in Lithuania to any any broader strategic concept or, or, or thinking. And then there are, of course, quite uh, big concerns still that Germany is not able to translate its political ambitions into more uh, concrete commitments and, and concrete engagement. I think the promises that Germany has been making in, in the NATO context, for example, remain rather ambitious considering uh, what has happened in practice so far. Indeed, or what hasn't happened in practice so far in terms of defence build-up, actual commitment to spending, getting it done quickly, reforming procurement and the kind of things that would allow us to see that that would give Germany the capabilities to put its concrete actions where its political mouth is in some way. But Anna, let's let's throw this same question to you. What could be done concretely um, to to realise better cooperation between Germany and the Nordics? The way I want to see this is, um, and I have uh, framed it in the past years, is that I believe Germany can really play a role in in, uh, anchoring a European pillar Uh, within NATO uh, and having Sweden and Finland now joining uh, NATO uh, for the north, it really makes this even more uh, central. And such a pillar should be broader than the EU. I mean, you have to have the UK in, you have to have Norway in, of course. Um, But you also have Denmark joining the EU defense and security. Uh, So I think what we have seen is, you know, a more congruent, more comprehensive kind of structure that could facilitate this. Um, And one concrete example there is, I think, which Germany has done well, again, is the Sky Shield initiative, uh, which uh, is actually very, very important. If you look at Northern Europe, one of the things that we have been lacking and that we really need is an integrated air and missile defense uh, structure over Northern Europe. Uh, And this is, you know, these are the steps we can take. It has upset the France because it was not European enough uh, and and it kind of excluded them in in their way of looking at it. But I think if if you look at it from a more uh, military strategic point of view, it is an important initiative that Germany again leads on. And I'm uh, perhaps uh, again not sure if they leverage enough or make enough of it, it's perhaps a bit too humble in, in this regard. You have also um, potential, I believe, of course, in the maritime environment. Uh, you have for NATO uh, the standing forces, uh, standard naval forces, maritime forces, 
that could be more integrated work, more uh, in the Baltic Sea. But I have also proposed um, that as Sweden join uh, NATO, we should lead a submarine, uh, subwater mission in the Baltic Sea. And you have seen, we have seen now how the cables are attacked. We have, we need to have more uh, surveillance. Uh, information, intel, uh, exchange, and the submarines are really huge uh, centrals in this regards, and they work with the with the vessels and and with the sensors. And Germany has submarines as well, and we could work on this together. And the third sector that I identified, which is actually part of perhaps the integrated air and missile defense, is that we have patriots, uh, uh, Poland, Germany, Sweden as patriots. Some of them are now in Ukraine, at least for Sweden. Um, but still, this is also a, a potential, you know, we can have more of a network kind of thinking in our missile defense. I think that that could be really important. And those are expensive systems. But I mean, Germany has a lot of money actually in their budget. So uh, <laughs> it could, it could you know, it could come to the, to the use for, for the region in, in an approach like this. Uh, which is because it's a big difference between smaller budgets and, and big budgets in this regard. Right. And that, that's one of the key ideas behind team power is actually leveraging that connection, leveraging, our, leveraging alliances to get better value for the money that's put in by everybody by making that network effect actually work properly. So thank, thanks for highlighting that. Thomas, I'd like to come back to something that you said that struck me um, earlier, which is that Germany is not uh, understood necessarily to be the guarantor of uh, Northern Europe and Northern European interests at the EU table in particular, uh, the same way as it once was. The flip side of this uh, as well, though, is uh, as a previous guest on this program, Caroline de Groote, put it on uh, the countries of Central and Eastern Europe are finding their own voices at the EU table, but also uh, the Northerners are arriving too. Uh, do you agree with that? Uh, what kind of implications does that have for Berlin? And maybe uh, most crucially, does Berlin actually understand that that's the case? that it is no longer necessarily the default uh, guarantor of, of Northern European views and interests at the EU table. I would say that at least from a Finnish perspective, Germany was still perceived as, uh, as the uh, most important partner at EU tables and definitely uh, an important factor bringing in, in uh, the Northern European views. But I, I guess when I talk about this, one of the things is... Uh, just goes beyond the security and uh, defense issues. There have been, for example, really big concerns in Finland about Germany's changing views when it comes to state aid to companies. So Germany, which has traditionally considered this rather a no-go, now takes a rather lenient approach and is in favor of this. And, and this has raised quite a lot of concern in Finland. But of course, this also applies to some extent uh, to security and defense issues. Maybe in Finland... Germany's role in assisting Ukraine, for example, has not been appreciated enough. I mean, yes, Germany has been hesitant, but yes, Germany has also done quite a lot and more than we tend to give Germany credit for. But at the same time, I think Germany has not always communicated uh, this very successfully. And then there are these other issues uh, when it comes to security and defense. Germany has been good in announcing aims and plans, but the implementation side has been more difficult and, and this has definitely affected uh, views uh, in, in Finland. 
Kim, let's go to you on this question for just a quick second, because uh, what we heard there uh, was that certain German attitudes towards things like state aid, towards things that um, uh, the Northerners have been a bit more skeptical of in the past, uh, you know, is is changing. Uh, to what extent do you see this reflected in um, debates around the EU table as far as uh, Germany and the Nordics are concerned? And we all remember things like the Euro crisis, where previously uh, there's been a lot of alignment there. Is, is that changing in your view? Well, I think it's important to to remember that uh, just a few years ago with Brexit, a key ally of uh, the Northerners, and especially of Denmark, uh, simply, you know, or suddenly uh, left the table. In that situation, Germany became the key partner. It already was in many aspects. It became even more central to, to Danish EU policies. Um, so I think that is the baseline, and I'm, and I'm not seeing that changing. Of course, there are specific issues, where such as migration policy. Um, you could also mention uh, state aid, though. I would say that also the the sort of the, the free trade li- liberal northern p- position is also changing on this. Um, so, in general, there are disruptions at the moment in, in many policy areas, but I still see Germany as the key ally for, for Danish EU uh, policies. Of course, together with the Netherlands, other uh, Nordic countries, um, but but I don't see that changing for, for the time being. That's right. I mean, it's become the key ally by default, whereas it was a, a key ally before. And indeed, this perhaps then served to highlight the need for that alliance, but also the shortcomings of it, the differences where they were, the inadequacies. And as you, you said before, Thomas, stepping out from behind Germany's shadow a little bit, and with the northern voice also, I think, being heard a little bit more clearly, as well as being shouted a little bit more loudly at the table. And it strikes me as though this speaks to the similar issues we were getting at before, there's a lot in common with Germany. There's a lot could be done in practical steps. There seem to be doubts, though, over the overall vision and the overall direction. Yes, I, I agree. And I was just thinking as I, as I listened to here to Thomas and Kim that we haven't touched upon how all of us look at Russia. <laughs> but to some extent, if you want to cooperate on security and defense, you need as close as possible a common threat assessment Otherwise, we have seen that, you know, interests do not align to the extent that you push yourself towards those special steps needed when it actually comes to security and defense. There's so many other things that modern politicians want to do uh, that they uh, get votes on. And this is not the prime area. But I mean, now we are at this phase. And this, I think, is still where it differs a bit between uh, Germany and the Nordics. And perhaps, you know, if you want to include the Baltics, definitely. But also the Nordics. And and, I mean, the Nordics have a common view on Russia, a, a very tight, I think, threat assessment on Russia. And still we are a bit hesitant, you know, on, on the German position here, Um of course, Seidenwender was driven by, as, uh, as, it, as it was uh, explained, uh, as a threat that you know, Russia could come very, very close to Germany in a very short period of time. And, and, and that kind of changed the whole perception. At that point, we were definitely at the same threat perception. I mean, Sweden and Finland applied for NATO membership and, and Germany launched the Seidenwender. So there we were very close. But after that, it has been drifting. Uh, and what we see, I think, that where we do not align is um, the the German fear of escalation in Ukraine, um, the nuances where we believe that Germany is perhaps closer to France, you know, that 
Russia cannot be crushed, then you have to balance how this uh, defeat goes, otherwise it will be a backlash. And uh, also the third dimension, I think, where we differ a bit, uh, even though Sweden has not been able to join it <laughs> yet, so we don't. there is no official position on this, but it's still from the Vilnius summit, you know, Ukraine's path to NATO. I think the general feeling there was that, uh, what is this? Why is it so difficult to kind of articulate a, a path to NATO? And we all know that it was Germany that kind of called the uh, US and, your, and the US had to pull the, pull the brakes and, and, and everyone agreed on this, this uh, very strange wording that came out of, of the Vilnius summit. So, uh, there are still some, and it, you know, if we put that on the table and look at it, then perhaps that explains to some extent why we are not really moving forward here on on this uh, in this area. And I think we need to have some honesty in this discussion. Exactly, which is why we got you on the show to prompt exactly that kind of discussion. Because I remember you and I spoke about this in Vilnius just after that strangely worded communique came out, and the disappointment around the room was manifest from those from Central Eastern Europe, but also from the northern states who had been pushing strongly for this. Even the French, who had uh, performed a volte face and went to support uh, Ukraine's NATO membership, were disappointed by this. But to me, you, you hit the nail on the head. It smacks of Germany's lack of clear strategic vision, lack of clear attitude to Russia. And you mentioned that you know, defeating Russia, even if that were being said in the halls of power in Berlin, it would be a step forward. It's not being seriously uttered, unfortunately. So there is that different vision. You mentioned also before arms control. Now, in back in the day, in the Cold War time, arms control was a means to an end for Germany. I mean, Helmut Schmidt understood this very clearly. Now arms control is talked about pretty much as an end in itself. And so to me, again, it shows this confusion about Germany's strategic vision. But exactly this, this point about Ukraine's membership of NATO is something key that we see as a difference there. A big Nordic drive since February 2022 seems to be join. Obviously, for Finland and Sweden, that meant NATO. As you've mentioned before, for Denmark, that meant joining common security and defense policy. Suddenly, you know, we went from uh, no Nordic country being a member of both of these things to now having three being a member of both of these things. And I would argue that I don't think that it's um, that that reorientation is particularly appreciated in Germany. And I think it's particularly evident in Olaf Scholz's statement where he said uh, during his time in office that there would be no eastward uh, enlargement of NATO. And obviously that did not uh, seem to go over well in either Stockholm or Helsinki. So um, I, I also think that Germany is acting quite tone deaf on this particular question. And my, um, uh, my question uh, also has to do with how damaging is that um, to German credibility, both when we consider Nordic security and also when we consider how the Nordics actually view things like um, Ukraine's future membership uh, in NATO? Well, it is clearly followed, right, in the Nordic countries, the the German uh, re rhetoric on this and also the uncertainty of what is actually meant because we, we can disagree, but the most important thing is that there is a clear line. I think that is what would be most appreciated. Uh, so it in Copenhagen it's readily understood that uh, when it comes to Eastern Europe, when it comes to Russia, we do not always agree, and that is also accepted, but we just need to know what we disagree on. And I think these mixed signals when it comes to Ukraine's NATO membership, or, or and also when it comes to the EU, um, that that is not helpful, because it does not give room for the substance discussion, because they 
obviously there are also concerns in Copenhagen about this, maybe not so much on the NATO, but more on the EU level with this understood, accepted and also countered in that these will be very, very, very difficult negotiations to have such a large country all of a sudden becoming part of the EU. Um, so the most important thing is just to know where Berlin stands. And that is, I think, the the, the, the still it remains the, the key task for policymakers. Does Berlin know where it stands? This is what we constantly ask here as well. That we, we say that you know Germany is moving, but it's not clear where it's going. And that's something very, uh, very difficult for partners to deal with. We heard on, on Friday night at the last section of, session of our action group Titan vendor that a lot's happened, but not a lot has changed. And that seemed to express some of the views of some allies in Central Eastern Europe in particular. And uh, it would be interesting to know, to know two things. So, Thomas, how are attitudes aligned or not aligned, do you think, between Germany and Finland on Ukraine's EU membership? And the process of reform that is claimed in Berlin is always needed before um, Ukraine could join. And how does it align with Berlin? So in Germany, there's this very strong view that uh, the EU needs to reform before it can take on new members. And Finland does not, uh, or the Finnish government does not necessarily share that view, at least not wholeheartedly. Uh, there are some issues that Finland would like to see reformed. Finland is a long-standing proponent of having uh, more qualified majority voting when it comes to the EU security and when it comes to the EU's foreign security policy. But that would not necessarily require a treaty change, which uh, still remains something that Finland is rather hesitant to talk about. And all, all in all, I, I think there's a more uh, pragmatic take on these issues in Helsinki than there is perhaps in Berlin. Finland seems to have got the message that this is the geopolitical opportunity of a generation for the EU to get Ukraine in, and it's a necessity to get Ukraine in, whereas Germany seems to be using it to leverage other concerns, which is quite baffling to, to many of us here. Um, Anna, it was Ulf Christensen who said that Ukraine's accession to the EU must be merit-based, but that merit-based cannot be an excuse for going soft or going slow. And that seems to be a very clear message that Sweden wants Ukraine in the European Union. They don't want to hide behind technocratic facades. There's political will to do it. And indeed, Sweden has been one of the member states that signed up together with the Central Eastern Europeans to say, no, we don't want reform first. We want to get Ukraine in. Is that still very much the position? And, and what friction is that causing with Germany? It has been a an interesting shift for Sweden as well. We did not use to push uh, EU enlargement. I mean, we launched the Euro uh, Eastern uh, Partnership uh, project. We had that uh, under our hands, so to say, in the EU. But we were not that articulate on, on EU enlargement. But that has shifted, as, as you said, uh, with Ukraine. And, and the logic is different than, I mean, for, for Ukraine to join and others, that you have to see it in a bit of a different way in its geopolitical context. If Germany gets too technocratic on this and links it too much to, to reforms, da da da, uh, that I definitely think that will cause frictions. Uh, as with Finland, I mean Sweden has also some uh, opinions on some of these reforms. The feeling here would be that you, you cannot take the reforms as an excuse not to enlarge uh, and and to acknowledge uh, the new realities that, that Europe is facing. It's interesting you mentioned the Eastern Partnership because that was launched by Sweden jointly with Poland. 
at a time of high cooperation between the two countries. Now we see a new Polish administration potentially coming in with a rather different character than the, the previous one. A lot of the substance is going to remain the same from Poland, but the tone is different. Does that offer a chance for heightened cooperation between Poland as a leading military player, soon to be, doing the rearmament that Germany is still only thinking about doing, Poland and the Nordic states? Yeah, I think that's a, a super interesting question because you have two... Uh, when we discuss uh, up here in the north, <laughs> uh, security and defense, you know, we have the Nordics, the Baltics, the UK, the US, uh, and then we have two countries that we look at, and that's Germany and Poland. Like, could we increase with any of those? So uh, in, in this sense, I mean, these are I mean, very different, but, but still uh, that's in the same perspective from, from the north looking to the continent. And, and, I mean, Poland is really interesting now because, I mean, the, you have the 4% spending on defense, which, I mean, has, has caused this big discussion in Europe if, if the whole centrum is moving it towards the east. But now you also have a more EU, an EU-friendly government in Poland. And I think for Berlin, this is something to, to think about also. You know, what kind of dynamics do you want in the north? Uh, because if, if there is a lack of interest or attention in Berlin towards uh, the concerns of the Nordics and the Baltics, uh, and there is a big interest or and we find more of an alignment in, in, uh, in Warsaw now that there is more, you know, both political and perhaps political and military uh, Congress, then I think, you know, I'm not sure Berlin finds itself in the best position. So, so at least to pay attention to these uh, dynamics. That's my advice. Thanks, Anna, for laying that out so clearly. Kim? Poland is definitely an interesting case also for Denmark. And it is most certainly so because Poland is a staunch transatlantic uh, um, partner, so to say. At least it looks to the US for its security. And this is exactly the same um, as a Danish outlook, um, the U.S. is the security guarantee. Um, that it also means that almost whatever leadership we will see in Washington D.C. for the next well next year maybe, but also for the next decade, uh, Denmark will do everything possible to keep the U.S. in um, frameworks that guarantee European security, which is the same approach that we've seen from Warsaw. It has also to do with a, I think, a flexible approach in Poland when it comes to procurement, uh, military procurement. Um, that not everything has to be in an EU framework. I think that also very much aligns with uh, the Danish ambitions here. Um, and most definitely with a new government that will, if anything, make things even even more um, or even easier um, in that relationship. Yeah, it, it really opens that opportunity for Berlin to get left behind. I mean, this is what we keep advising people here is saying that, look, the others are moving ahead. They have quite a lot that's obviously in common. You're, making not, you're not making the effort to reach out to either the North or the East, but they will not be shy of reaching out to each other. Coming back to the changing political leadership in Poland, um, Germany is seen as a stable partner in that sense, and that should not be underestimated, right? So you have... You look at France, you think what will what will happen there for the next presidential elections. You look everywhere in Europe where things go forth. So far, at least in Germany, you have always have leaderships and governments you can work with. And you kind of know what their overall vision for Europe is, uh, so to say a pro-European stance. So I think that should not be underestimated. There is some, you know, Germany is seen as an anchor in all of this. Um, so I'm not sure that it will be left out or left behind anytime soon. 
I think when it comes to Poland, it's part of uh, this kind of an overall package of opportunities that is opening up as a result of Finland's NATO membership. So actually working with the Baltic countries, for example, has not been that easy politically uh, for Finland before. The diplomatic styles are are very different and not so much our views, but the style of our Russia policy, for example, has also been rather different. But now with Finland's NATO accession, I think we will have to think more about uh, the Baltic states and Poland as well as potential uh, partners. I think politically, of course, the relations have not been that close or that good. But already before, Finland has, of course, taken note of Poland's ambitions as a military player and as a player in the broader Baltic Sea region. And Poland is actively thought of as as a potential partner. And now the change in government will, of course, most likely make that easier politically as well. Where does Sweden stand on this issue of systemic competition between democracies and autocracies? And how does that also play into sharing geoeconomic position with Germany or not on, for example, China? I think on on systemic competition uh, and democracies, autocracies, I think we we definitely see see the trend. I'm not sure that we use exactly those wordings officially because uh, it's it's perhaps not translate that well into Swedish, uh, I don't know. But uh, of course, we see the tendencies here, definitely. Um, and I think on when it comes to uh, the position in this, do we have to take sides? Is there a hedging position or an in-between position and so on? Uh, this is, of course, still a bit up to discussion because uh, in some ways Sweden has instincts to be able to navigate a little bit, you know, uh, in our own way. <laughs> Uh, being neutral, but still have big uh, export-oriented companies that have benefited from a very uh, free market rule-based kind of international order. Uh, and as as we discussed before, no state intervention in that sense. Uh, on the other hand, I think we have, uh, I mean, we have as the rest of the EU a clear awakening on when it comes to China, investment screening, uh, the, the problems that all of this uh, could provide. And we have felt it uh, very um, uh, concrete ways from from China. Their former ambassador here was very uh, aggressive, and, and we had other incidents. Uh, and and uh, uh, so so, and we also took the Huawei decision not to uh, include Huawei in our five G network in Sweden. So we have taken some firm decisions. Um, but I think over o- overall. We are uh, again threat aware, uh, as Anna. We would expect Germany to follow that, and and you know, for instance, investments in in Hamburg uh, Harbor, we would have you know that causes reactions from us. That's how we also did a, f- a few years ago. But I think now the awareness is different in Sweden, and so we are perhaps you know moving a little bit uh, ahead ahead of Germany in, in these situations. Again, expecting Germany perhaps to lead and to take a responsibility beyond a pure national stance. Uh, a pure national stance is perhaps for a little, you know, for a smaller country to do, not perhaps the fourth largest economy and the leader of the EU. We would have certain expectations on, on Germany uh, in this regard, perhaps to be for, even forward 
rather than than behind on this. Although, if you you know, we would understand arguments, but still, this is a balance in between national security concerns and economics, and we all have to make these these right choices. Kim, let's come to you for uh, again on systemic competition. What we heard from Anna just now. So, uh, very very recently in Germany, we heard the Mercedes Benz CEO <laughs> say uh, that de-risking for them at least uh, involved. Um, actually increasing business in China and not Europe, which of course is is, is not exactly uh, a definition of de-risking that we would uh, share here on Berlin Side Out. Well, the agenda is definitely high, high on the on the list. Um, Denmark has traditionally had a very pragmatic approach to China. Um, Denmark as an export nation with major uh, players having interest in the Chinese market has always um, tried to assure that that we are not uh, so to say provoking any confrontations with Beijing and that still seems to be the case uh, the current foreign minister has uh, coined the term pragmatic idealism with an emphasis on the pragmatic part um, we have seen the foreign minister of Denmark uh, being in in China with a major Danish business delegation to keep that economic relationship going. At the same time, of course, there's a major discussion about uh, geoeconomic risks, about the need to uh, diversify uh, away from the Chinese market. Um, but in that sense, I would say that that the Danish debate resembles what we see here in Germany. Right? That you understand that there is a problem, but you also have major interests to not accelerate that problem to not do anything about the problem yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly either accelerate nor address the problem um see if the problem solves itself maybe can you have a strategy that plays to both china and the u.s because you, you mentioned before that u.s is where you turn for security but you want to be pragmatic with china is that going to be possible in future i think many are concerned that it won't be right and that is that is the big test um for example danish foreign policy if something should happen in in the Strait of Taiwan, for example, what to do. Um, and I think there are many who are trying to figure out right now how can we assure uh, our friends in, in Washington, D.C. that we are ready, as we have been in the past decades, to support their security interests while not being at the forefront in this to, to rack up um, well, relationships with Beijing. That's something that uh, Copenhagen and Berlin have in common. Thomas, let's come come to you on that now. Uh, geoeconomics, systemic competition. Where is where's Helsinki on all of this? Traditionally, I would say that Finland has had a rather pragmatic relationship with China. Five six years ago, our government um, at the time still saw China as um, an attractive source of um, investments, also as a very important trading partner. But now view has definitely changed and that has to do with several factors uh, one of them is that uh, some of the announced chinese investments uh, never materialized but an even more important reason for for this reassessment is of course china's support for russia even uh, after the start uh, of the war in ukraine i think that has made it very difficult to view china in a similar light as it was seen uh, before February 2022. And now the most recent thing is, of course, this Baltic connector incident. So this uh, broken gas pipeline in the Baltic Sea and uh, the evidence so far in this case 
shows that it was a Chinese vessel that is most likely behind this incident. And this will be the newest test to the Finnish-Chinese relationship. I think it's it's quite interesting to look at the background of uh, Finland's and, and Germany's Russia policy, because before uh, February 2022, they were actually rather aligned when it comes to Russia. So both were pragmatic, I would say, when it came to Russia. Diplomacy was very much highlighted, uh, the fact that we we would need to maintain uh, some kind of dialogue and, and some forms of, of cooperation. But now that we look back upon that time, I think in, in Finland, we assess Germany's role much more critically because we think that even though we both were on the same side politically, at least Finland consistently invested in its national defense and also in uh, building this kind of broader defense partnerships with the US, with the UK, uh, with our Nordic neighbors. Finland also sought to diversify its energy portfolio, something that uh, Germany failed to do despite uh, attempts to do so. In hindsight, Germany has become an example of how not to deal with Russia. And and that's the way it is seen in in Finland now. And the, the fact that we actually had these very close similarities in our Russia policy, they now tend to be overlooked or, or forgotten. That's a fascinating point to bring out. And in, indeed, having thought the policies were similar, they did differ in that crucial element, as you said, of actually being prepared in a way that allowed you to pivot the policy at a different speed and in a different way than Germany's. And I think also what you pointed to, I mean, you called the approach pragmatic. We we would say it was anything but. It seemed like it was pragmatic, and then it turned out to be highly impractical. Thank you, Danka Kitos and Tuck, to all our guests in that discussion. Now, Minna, we covered a lot uh, there, but one recurring theme we heard about was the change in how the Nordics now view Germany. We heard from Thomas that Germany is no longer seen around EU tables as the ultimate guarantor for Northern European interests. Anna brought up that the German commitment to Lithuania, which we were talking about at the beginning of this episode with you, uh, through its battle group, is looked at positively in the Nordic but at the same time that Germany doesn't really seem to grasp its importance or its responsibility even there. We also heard that Finland views uh, Germany's Russia policy as an example of what not to do and the dangers of not having the military readiness in particular, but also other forms of readiness, to pivot policy if necessary, as Finland has done. Those are some pretty damning assessments from places that have a history of rather close alignment with Germany. If the Nordic view of Germany has changed, how does the German view of the Nordics need to change in response, would you say? I think Germany is in general maybe going through this um, moment in its history and especially post-Cold War history that it realizes that it has a lot to learn from others and not just the other way around. And in a way, the Nordics are, I would say, probably a very positive uh, framework group also for Germany. So so I think that um, it is probably easier like psychologically in Germany to say that okay we want to learn from the Nordics because the Nordics are already like considered some sort of like model in many other policy fields so if they are doing things well also in terms of security and defense it's okay to acknowledge that they are a model so 
I do think that um, there is a lot of potential uh, for Germany to learn from the Nordics. And this is also acknowledged in Germany, um, which just released the new defense policy guidelines, bringing back the, the Cold War uh, concept of Gesamtverteidigung, uh, which is very similar, like, at least in it sounds similar as the as the nordic total defense concept it's it's not going to be quite as comprehensive as in the nordic societies in in germany but there is this like acknowledgement that this is something that we lost after the cold war and uh, the, the the nordic countries at least finland didn't and have kept up so so there's this idea that there are best practices that that uh, germany can learn from the the nordic countries So I think uh, this doesn't apply only to ge how Germany views the Nordic countries, but more in general how Germany views its partners and allies, that it has to understand what is the role that is both like desirable and doable for Germany. Mm -hmm. Germany needs to kind of like understand that uh, it, like everyone else, has strategic interests and goals and, and get better at formulating them. And of course, like Germany will always remain this power that wants to be very embedded in, in Europe. But I think that there is potential for understanding better what that means and requires from Germany, like taking into consideration uh, the interests of like maybe groups of smaller partners and then actually considering them in also Germany's own policies. So there's definitely like a lot of room. Right. And this is this is something we've looked at through this concept of team power, that Germany could become more of a team power. But in order to do so, it needs to properly listen to and take on board the concerns of its allies. So if you were to just offer some last closing advice to Berlin, Uh, and good evening to all our listeners in the Kanzleramt um, and around the government quarter here in Berlin. Um, Mina, what, what would you say are those chief concerns that Germany should take on in order to then get a better hearing for its own in, um, in the Nordics? I think Germany should really um, get better at truly considering um, other European nations' concerns and, and interests when also in its uh, domestic policies sometimes. German energy subsidies have been a, a point of many fights, not only with small countries, but especially with France. And this understanding maybe when German interests align with European interests and when they don't. I mean, we don't have to go into Germany's energy policy with Russia, but that was a prime example of like when there was not this understanding. Germany has a very important role still to play in, in the middle of Europe in terms of like the new European security architecture, uh, this concept of Trierscheibe Deutschland. Uh, and it is very important, I think, that um, Germany doesn't only pledge uh, the moon and the stars from the sky, but but things that it can deliver in a reasonable time frame. But in Germany, it would be also good to understand that the sense of urgency is completely different elsewhere. And and, and this uh, peacetime bureaucracy is maybe not the way to, to tighten wind. Right. And so exactly doing what Germany has promised to do, doing it consistently, doing it a bit quicker, communicating that to allies building up the military capabilities it needs to actually live up to its responsibilities in European security would all be good things to do to enhance German credibility and enhance German influence. And also making a long-term commitment, making clear that like despite uh, Schuldenbremse, the debt break and, and other considerations that Germany is actually committed to investing in the long run, um, Chancellor Scholz has recently promised to be investing at least 2% in the 20s and 30s. We will have to see uh, the political decision actually backing that up. So I think making sure that the, the pledges that Germany makes are actually credible uh, and can be also delivered on in a reasonable time frame, uh, 
that that will be important uh, going forward. Well, as uh, a previous guest on this podcast, including the previous episode you were on, Britta Jakob said, uh, it would already be a Seitenbende if Germany would just do what it said it was going to do. Just do that. That's all for this episode of Berlin Side Out. Thank you to our guests this week and our special guest co-host, Mina Elander, as well as to our technical producer, Hendrik Werner, and project assistant, Ulan Stuckle. Please make sure to find relevant readings from Mina and our guests and their info in the show notes. Until next time from Berlin, goodbye, auf Wiedersehen, and... Cool, me. Mean.